Hello, you are listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. We're discussing Louisiana's coast, its people, wildlife, and jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat. How are you, Simone? How are you? You've been stuck in a room retreating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every now and then it's important to step away from your day-to-day work and think about big ideas and, mm-hmm. you know, brainstorm what we can do to address Louisiana's land loss crisis. So, I've been I'm in retreat mode, so my brain might not be fully no field trip. No field trip. Oh. No. Have you done any field trips oh. this week? No, not. Oh, I had to go to Baton Rouge today. Hmm, what a field trip that yeah. is. <laughs> I have to tell you though, um, I don't know if you do this or maybe we shouldn't even talk about this on the air. Every now and then I go back and listen to ourselves to see how we sound. All and Dr. 73 Kloon, other episodes. 50. Dr. Kloon, <laughs> we had a great time with him last week and it was funny to listen to it again. And I will say we need to have him back and, and Nikki Boudreaux too, because he was like, we didn't even go half into the stories that he has. And so, um, but I did also... Um, make a little personal note that I need to um, stop stepping all over you and um, let you speak more. So um, with that in mind, I'm going to let you have this whole show about birds. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that was such a good episode. And I, I certainly would love to have Dr. Clune back. I mean, we said it on the show. We only scratched the surface <laughs> of topics. And- so there was a forum in Baton Rouge yesterday, which I couldn't go to because we had another luncheon in, in Homa. But um Chip Klein tweeted about Dr. Klune's dog, which was really uh-huh. funny. Avid listener, Chip Klein. And so it was funny to see now everybody's talking about Boots. We might have a little <laughs> competition between Boots and Dupree. Oh, oh, I, oh no. But no. what well, we can love multiple dogs on this show. I did go down to um, Lumcon on Monday and we were talking about um, actually on Ile de Jean Charles, there is a um, kind of community dog that that you know everyone shares actually belongs to someone um but then we were talking about Lumcon that maybe Dupree could be the mayor of Coquitry since he you know he attempted the I know the New Orleans may have been here. too mm-hmm. you know big to, big, talk to Alex big about league that. forum yeah well uh I had a great Monday actually speaking of Nichols I went and presented at a class um at Southern University in Baton Rouge awesome. of environmental um well not environmental but public relations students and so we, I got to talk a little bit about the work we did talked about the podcast awesome. um you know it's always great seeing that next generation and getting them inspired so it is, it is. um but today we are keeps ta- us young too by the way we're getting back to the birds but before we get to the birds I have to ask you a question <laughs> I did see there was a, a great article that you authored that came out in eco magazine um our some of our partners uh including one of the people we're having on the show authored some yes yes articles um it was so nice the way the magazine came out I, I kind of didn't know what to expect and and some colleagues of ours um asked us to asked me to think about, you know, coastal finance. We talk about that on the show a lot. And so, of course, you know, I just felt um, I felt great about being able to talk about some of the work that we've been doing so long. It's like, you know, I have like only certain amount of places in my brain. One's like 80 song lyrics and one is like, you know, coastal finance. So it feels nice to kind of have gotten that out. Um, and it turned out really, really nice. I was so glad to work with Shannon Kniff. We've had her on the show before. And so the H2O Witch, I think. Is she. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's so much more to that. And it's, it's actually um, visually quite nice to look at as yeah, a digital magazine. It's a magazine. great piece. Um, and you know, Ryan Chauvin, mm-hmm. um, who, first article, yeah, right? I mean, he did an article on um, our Coast 360 yeah, video. Opening article. Um, so. so a lot of great content. But we actually have another one of the authors on this show, Very Eric nice. Johnson, Director of Bird Conservation with Audubon, Louisiana. We're also going to talk to Justin Lehman, um, Coastal Marsh Bird Technician with Audubon, Louisiana, second. But first, Eric, welcome back to Delta Dispatches. 
Hello, Jacques. Hello, uh, Simone. How you doing? Hey, Eric. Hey, you've been very busy, and we have a lot to talk to you about. But you, oh, you should. You are too. You were uh, forty under forty. Oh, oh, yeah. Oh. Jacques, congratulations. Thank you for bringing that up, Eric. Yes, the wind beneath my wings was 40 into 40, Gambit. So deserving. The article was not long enough. I did love that picture, though. Oh, thank you. Well, um, yeah, I very much appreciate the recognition. <laughs> um, but we had a little reception last night, and I got to meet all the other um, I saw folks. John from other Audubon yes, so, that we've had on the show. Exactly. So too. John Fallon <laughs> with Audubon Nature Institute and their golf program was also recognized. So we had a little joke last night about how <laughs> we're just continuing the confusion um, of the, the, the Audubons. Well, so. Eric, I'm so glad that you brought, brought that up. Thank you. So yeah, Eric, really. you had an article in Eco Magazine as well um, to understand the su- success of coastal restoration. Look to the birds. What did you write? What was that article about? Yeah, so it was about work that we've been doing to track the restoration response of uh, nesting birds on the Caminata headlands. So we were, we've basically been, been trying to answer the question whether or not um, restoration is a net win for birds or if there's other challenges uh, that are occurring that we need to address in order to maximize the value of these projects. And so one of the things we've been seeing is that, you know, after some of these restoration projects, um, on, on beaches and barrier islands, we see sort of an increase in uh, predation pressure on nesting birds. And so we've been doing some work demonstrating uh, projects with electric fencing to try to protect nest- nesting birds and maximize the value of these, of these projects. So, you know, the restoration projects are great. You know, they benefit land, they protect land, and there is a, 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 a small benefit to birds, but we can even make that better. That's basically what the article was about. Yeah, and this past uh, nesting season was a milestone year for Audubon, Louisiana's Coastal Stewardship Program, right? Oh, we had a we had an amazing year this year. Um, the weather cooperated for once, so we had very high nesting success. The the birds weren't getting their nests washed out. I don't know if people remember Tropical Storm Cindy last year. That was a huge, devastating storm for nesting birds because it happened right at the peak of nesting season. Um, but this year we didn't have that, and with the stewardship work of our amazing volunteers and technicians, not a single nest or chick uh, was was run over or trampled uh, by a beachgoer, by a human on Grand Isle or Elmer's Island. So that's a huge win. The birds had a great year. Yeah, that's a great message to the volunteers and all the people that you worked with, right? That, um, you know, last year was tough, and this year, you know, you bounce back, and to be able to to ride those highs and lows, but um, especially celebrate the highs. Eric, you were also really active in um, ensuring Elmer's Island remains a wildlife refuge. We've discussed this on the show before, but you yourself were pretty vocal. Uh, We quoted you a couple of times about um, the proposal to build an airport on the island. Tell us a little bit about why that's so important to you and why you, you thought you needed to step up even more there. Well, sure. I mean, the, the whole idea was, was really nonsensical, and um, as soon as people started realizing what was going on, you know, they, the whole community shared that sentiment. So, you know, I was certainly one person, but, you know, everybody that we talked to was similarly outraged about the idea of building an airport on a coastal wildlife refuge. You know, these lands are extremely sensitive. They support extremely high numbers of um, important birds uh, that are, you know, 
beautiful to, to bird watchers and to beachgoers, lots of pelicans and plovers and ducks. And I mean, it's just, it was just nonsensical to try to build an airport in an area like that. And ultimately, you know, I think, you know, the, the powers that be realized that and, you know, um, it is Elmer's Island will remain a wildlife refuge, which is great. Um, so, Eric, how are things going, um, you know, from a bird perspective, restoration wise? I mean, I know uh, there's been some news recently about uh, Queen Bess Island and the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries celebrating the 50th year since the restoration um, or I guess reintroduction of brown pelicans at Queen Bess. Um, you know, why? How are things going in that realm? Yeah, well, I mean, these projects are, are moving forward, which is fantastic. You know, Queen Bess is, is sort of the crown jewel of uh, coastal uh, rookeries in Louisiana. Um, you know, and it was one of the sites where brown pelicans were reintroduced in the 1960s after they went extinct in Louisiana. So it has a long historical legacy. Um, today, you know, thousands of brown pelicans nest out there, but really only five acres out of the 36 acres of Queen Bess Island are available for nesting. The rest of it is sunk um, and eroded away. So hopefully uh, this coming fall and winter, that project will actually go to construction. Um, and maybe in 2020, we'll see uh, a lot more birds using that island as a nesting site. That's awesome. And I mean, there, you know, we've, You've been quoted in stories featuring, um, you know, this same story, but basically that there have been so many conservation successes in Louisiana when it comes to birds. You think of bald eagles, you think of brown pelicans, roseate spoonbills, so a lot to be hopeful for, um, and a lot of, you know, uh, gratitude to you and um, other conservationists and scientists who are making that possible. So want to talk about the mysterious marsh bird when we come back and, and the work that you and Justin are doing there, but we have to head to a break. So if y'all hang on with us, we'll be right back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. Hi, I'm Don Cheadle. Listen up. I want to talk to you about something important, the Environmental Defense Fund. EDF isn't like some of the other environmental groups. EDF works together with those on both sides of the issue. Despite all the fighting in Washington, EDF has found ways for both parties to support real progress that has made our air and water cleaner and the products in our homes safer. So not only can our planet prosper, so can our future. Go to edf.org to see how you can help. National Wildlife Federation gives voices to the wildlife conservation values that are part of our country's heritage. We are charting a new course for wildlife that our children and grandchildren will thank us for. Visit our website, nwf.org Louisiana, to find out more about our work to restore and protect coastal Louisiana for generations to come. National Wildlife Federation, uniting all Americans to ensure wildlife thrive in a rapidly changing world. nwf.org Louisiana. At Audubon, we believe that where birds thrive, people prosper. Nowhere is that more evident than in Louisiana. Integrating science, education, and policy, Audubon, Louisiana's mission is to conserve and restore natural ecosystems, focusing on birds, other wildlife, and their habitats for the benefit of humanity and the Earth's 
biological diversity. Visit la.audubon.org to learn more and support our mission. la.audubon.org. Restore Retreat is a coastal nonprofit organization working in the heart of the Barataria and Terrebonne Basins, from the Mississippi River to the Atchafalaya. We work every day to restore Louisiana's coast community and culture with our mission of implementing long-term and large-scale projects for our irreplaceable region. We'll hope you join us in supporting the solution. Check us out on Twitter, Facebook, and online at www.restoreorretreat.org. Oh, man, the show just gets better and better and better. We're going to introduce a new portion of the show called the Coastal Stat of the Week. Coastal Stat of the Week. Um, Jacques doing the dance to the um, to the Take On Me video, the black and white part. Don't they walk through the mirror at some point, PJ? Yeah. Here we go. Your Coastal Louisiana Stat of the Week. It's a national stat. According to a 2009 study, state of the ocean and coastal economies, our coasts are less than 10% of the U.S. area, but generate 42% of the nation's economic output. If the coastal counties were a nation, they would rank third in global GDP. O-M-G. Um, that's unbelievable. All right. Good well, stat. I'm so glad we got to get. There's so much important data and there stats. She's well, yep, there um, we go. Crossing out over. there about our coasts. And this I one's agree. a national stat, but we'll we'll have some highlight in Louisiana too. I'm surprised it's not a bird stat. Well, we'll get to that. Yep. So welcome back, Eric and Justin. So Justin Lehman, Coastal Marsh Bird Technician. Um, Justin, you've been with Audubon for a year, a few years now. Tell us a little bit about your background and the work you do. Yeah, thank you, Jacques and Simone, for having me on. Uh, so yeah, I started actually last uh, October, so it's just been over a year that I've been with Audubon. Um, I joined shortly after I got my, my Master's in Wildlife Sciences from the, the University of Tennessee uh, I'm actually a transplant from Minnesota. We like you still. It's fine. Yeah, <laughs> born and raised there. Um, and I guess people aren't really used to people that can deal with the, the cold down here because <laughs> I was actually mistaken for a homeless person because evidently they kind of look as you look at you as crazy if you're, you're camping on a beach in the middle of, of January. So you do a lot of camping or time you spend a lot of time outdoors in Louisiana's coastal marshes. Um, tell us a little bit about your typical day or night in coastal Ooh, Louisiana. Yeah, here we go. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, a, a good chunk of my, my job is just traveling around to all these different places. Uh, we have sites all throughout coastal Louisiana. Um, I've got some sites down in um, southwest Louisiana where I can see across to Texas. I have some sites down in Grand Isle. Uh, most of them are in southwest Louisiana in Cameron Parish. Um, but yeah, it's usually just me and uh, my dog Sierra. We go go camping on the beach. We wake up before the sun rises. Like you must. I was just thinking you must see some amazing stars, huh? Oh yeah, I get get some good stars, get some good sunrises, good suns- sunsets. Um, but yeah, we uh, get up before the sun, do s- surveys in the morning. Um, afternoons are usually free to do uh, some data entry, organizing volunteers, or just taking a nap. Um, and then evenings, I go back out for more surveys. So tell us a bit about this main project you're focused on, Black Rails. We, we talked about it just briefly last week. Wh- what are you doing and what are you trying to accomplish? 
Tell us about Black Rails, too. Well, yeah, so, I mean, before this project, there really wasn't much known about Black Rails in Louisiana. Um, there was uh, 13 confirmed Black Rail reportings uh, before the start of this project um, in the summer of 2017. Uh, so the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, LDWF, and Audubon partner, partnered up to start doing some black rail surveys. Um, so the main goal of projects um, is basically just to figure out where these black rails are in Louisiana, um, when they are here, um, and just how many we might have. Um, so now that we've studied them a little bit longer, um, we're hoping to start kind of going in a little bit more depth, uh, using some radio telemetry to look at the movements, um, and then just using all this inf information we've been learning to uh, kind of start to advise um, restoration efforts and management plans. So I have lots of questions. Um, where do they come from? Are y'all trying to figure that out? Where do the black rails come mm -hmm. from? Or they stay here all the time? Uh, that's something we're trying to figure out. Um, I mean, so we have found them uh, throughout the summer, um, which was is kind of a new bit of information before um, we were thinking they might just be here uh, during winter or even just migrating through. But it seems like we may have some uh, some breeding black rails in Louisiana. So Simone has expressed interest in finding a black rail. Um, I, okay, so I will say this. This is mostly because of Eric's Twitter account and some of the Audubon friends that I, I want one now. They're so excited when they find one. And Tristan Bark, if you're listening, I want to find one with you. <laughs> <laughs> so Simone wants to accompany you all and Tristan on a black rail survey. Why don't you paint a picture for what a typical survey is Just like? Just a when, tent, so I'm yeah, a little concerned when about you, that. When you go look for these black rails, what is, what is that experience like? Uh, so we've got two different types of surveys. Uh, we do point count surveys, which is just using a, a recording um, to enhance detection. Um, that's just me and my dog going around to these different points. So then we do dragline surveys, which is when I get a bunch of volunteers to come out, and those are, I'm sure, the pictures that you've been seeing um, of people holding birds. Um, so, yeah, that is basically just using the 50-foot rope. We've got some noisemakers on the, the rope. We have spotlights and fishnets, and we basically do transects th through the marsh. Anytime we kick up a, um, a rail, we... Uh, we go after it, so we use the spotlights to kind of stun them and then put a net over them. Um, then we catch them, band them, and then release them. So I think I think you were a little generous in that description. <laughs> uh, you'll be going to some of the most remote places of Louisiana's coast at night and walking through and trying to find this, uh, this mysterious bird. So if you're up for that, it is an adventure, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, if you guys are... Uh, interested in your like an early new year's resolution or something <laughs> uh want to get your get a good workout in um, we walk about a mile through the marsh um yeah so far we've had about 100 volunteers uh during this project um we've caught uh we actually just caught two more black rails last weekend making it a total of nine black rails so the first nine black rails that were caught in louisiana um, so, yeah, if you want to have a chance at catching one of the rarest and hardest-to-see birds on the planet, um, okay, that might be a little bit generous. But <laughs> Do you have to be quiet? Because I think that's probably... No, it's... <laughs> okay, good. I'm like, <laughs> I think that's not. what would do me in. Because I hear that turkey hunts are also very fun, but you have to be very, very quiet. And yeah. I don't think I would do well there. So, that that's so interesting. When you were little Justin, did you ever think that you would do this? Is this always something you were interested in? 
I mean, I grew up uh, camping, doing all sorts of things outdoors. Um, I mean, I birds wasn't like they weren't my main passion, I guess, up until I got into um, into college, and then I actually did a trip to Thailand that was supposed to be studying tigers, and there was a, an ornithologist um, <laughs> that was along on the trip, and um, she she kind of took me under her wing and uh, got into birds what, at that see point. See what he did there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, obviously the, the survey and the thrill of seeking out these birds at night in remote parts of Louisiana's marshes, that's very, very uh, and exhilarating, but it's important what you do with the surveys and kind of what you're learning. So tell us why these surveys are important. What, it tell, what does it tell us about the black rail, but also maybe other bird species and just our coastal environments in general? Yeah, so, I mean, pretty much the only place we're finding black rails in Louisiana is along the coast. Um, so they're in this high marsh habitats kind of right behind, um, like right off the beach. Um, and in areas that have shoreline erosion, we're not finding um, this type of habitat or we're not finding black rails. Um, so, I mean, it's, yeah, um, some of these areas, uh, um, with black rails, um, you can kind of just, uh, yeah, it's that, I mean, their habitat's really threatened, right? That, um, and because they're kind of elusive, it's just important to know what the birds need to inform kind of what their habitat needs are. Yes. Yeah, I mean, they're a really rare species. So, I mean, they've got a, a rare habitat and it's, um, a definitely a threatened habitat. So, well, we want to we want to hear a little bit more about this. Maybe tee up how people can get involved. Um, but we're heading into a break, so um, we will be right back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM, always available online. Episode 74. Go listen to the other 73 on DeltaDispatches.org. <laughs> we'll be right back after the break. And we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. Always available online at deltadispatches.org. I'm Simone Laws with Restore Retreat, and I've readjusted my microphone so I would stop hitting it. Oh, good. See, it, it, it does happen. It I'm, does. I'm glad that I'm not the only one no. who um, has issues with hitting my microphone <laughs> with my head. So it is time for a fun question. And we were talking a little bit about the holidays during the break, and it's November. It's supposed to get cool tomorrow. It's supposed to be like 40 degrees. I'm so excited. I gotta buy my kids some clothes. I'm so excited. I need to get my flannel out. <laughs> Just, you know, <laughs> maybe get a PSL. Um, but anyway, so we're getting to Thanksgiving. Um, and I'm curious, Eric and Justin, I want to know what your favorite Thanksgiving side dish Do is. Do bird people eat turkey? Can we start with that? Yeah, I love turkey. <laughs> <laughs> you have no problem with that bird, right? <laughs> Okay, I like I like Jack's question. Also, favorite um, side dish. I'm a stuffing guy. Really? Yeah. So stuffing in the turkey, stuffing out the it, turkey. It doesn't matter. It's all good. <laughs> Justin, how about you? You like the oh, shrimp and milliton? That is a tough question. Put me on the spot. Um, my dad's a baker. Uh, oh, so we had a, all sorts of really good 
uh, roles and stuff. So I'd almost have to go with, go with uh, some sort of, of role for a side dish. That's pretty neat to have a dad that's a baker. Yeah. How about you, Simone? What is your favorite? I'm I'm with Eric. I like me some stuffing. Well, except we don't call it stuffing. We call it dressing oh, yeah, because dressing. it doesn't go in the Sometimes turkey. Sometimes you get Erster dressing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Try to give myself away. <laughs> I have a very Homa association with mm-hmm. Thanksgiving because we'd always spend uh, Thanksgiving with my relatives in Homa and my Aunt Frances would make a delicious chicken sausage gumbo and mm-hmm. then of course we put the potato salad in, in, it, in it in the gumbo and yes. it was a family recipe so we my made husband, our own mayonnaise my husband makes gumbo every Thanksgiving for our family it's delicious and we have such the controversy because he's a New Orleans transplant and he thinks potato salad in your gumbo is gross we, I mean, this it's is, amazing. Yeah, this but that, was yeah. something we had to negotiate and discuss before we got married. It goes in the gumbo, just to be clear. I'm with, I'm with y'all on that one. Thank Ooh. you. Yeah, Thank and you. you're a, Eric lives around Lafayette, so I'm sure you get a little bit of that too out there. Oh yeah. So we guys, before the break, we were talking about um, black rails, which is very, very interesting and and how mysterious. But they've also had some black rails has been in the news a lot lately. Eric, tell us about ESA, what that means, and and why black rails is kind of coming to the top of the news feed. Sure, yeah. So the endangered the ESA is the Endangered Species Act. Um, so this bird has gotten to, to the point of being so rare that it has been proposed for listing. Um, so that'll have some really interesting implications for coastal restoration funding and opportunities because they do exist on our coastline and there's a lot of uh, new attention on this species. Um, it'll have implications for public land management when it comes to fire, um, but also potential... Uh, oh, like marsh burn kind of stuff, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Fried burns. Um, there's going to be a window in which uh, public lands that support black rails will not be able to, uh, to burn. Um, particularly during the nesting and the molting season in the summer and fall. Um, but it may encourage, you know, public land managers to do more regular, um, you know, and more more creative ways of, of impl- implicating uh, or in- introducing fire into the, into the management rotation. So lots of interesting uh, potential outcomes. The final decision won't be made until October 2019. Uh, so there's a public comment period now through uh, December 10th. On the on the listing proposal, um, and so we're looking at that very closely and, and thinking through all the implications. Because of course, Audubon is also a coastal landowner uh, through our Rainy uh, Wildlife Sanctuary. So this uh, this will have um, implications for how we manage our property as well. Yeah, and Eric, I mean, I know people must have a lot of questions about this when you know the it's a bird is petitioned or any you know species is petitioned, especially if their lands involved. Um, and so I know you and Audubon Louisiana are hosting a workshop for landowners. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, we, we, we invited uh, various state and federal agencies, uh, public land managers, as well as private landowners that we work with um, on our black rail work um, to talk about, you know, what the, what the listing means um, for, for these different stakeholders and um, how they can play a role in providing comments for the, for the, uh, for the listing decision. Um, but also talk about what, you know, what, what are the gaps in knowledge that we don't have yet, uh, what are the things we need to learn in order to better manage for this, this disappearing bird. So did y'all have the workshop or will have it? It's, in a, it's actually a week from today. Okay. So. Very interesting. Good to know. So what are, I mean, being put on the endangered species list is like, I mean, a huge deal. Um, what are some of the threats to the black rail? 
Well, this, there's the two primary ones are land loss because of uh, development or um, conversion to other kinds of land uses, um, but also sea level rise is potentially a very big issue. So as Justin mentioned earlier, this, is, this bird lives in what we call high marsh. Um, these are sort of the upper reaches of the marsh system, and so they depend on that dryness to be able to raise their, uh, to, you know, to lay their eggs and raise their young. So if that higher marsh is getting more regularly inundated by tidal surge, um, that can be a real problem for this bird, and we think that's a lot of what's going on and why its population is, has declined so drastically. And it's interesting. I mean, we've obviously, I mean, we talk a lot about the Mississippi River Delta, but we've had Lori Cormier on the show mm-hmm. before to talk about southwestern Louisiana, and, and the geology there is, is different, right? And so is that marsh that you're referring to, I mean, does it pretty much only exist in that part of the state? Yeah, where we've mostly found it is in southwest Louisiana in the Chenier Plain. Um, that habitat extends into Texas. Um, but there's also other kinds of higher marsh habitats where black rails are found on the eastern Gulf um, in Florida and then up the Atlantic coast in South Carolina, uh, North Carolina, and the Delmarva Peninsula. So, you know, they're, they're adaptable to different kinds of high marsh systems, um, you know, in different geologies. So it really just depends. But so far, we haven't had a lot of luck finding them in southeastern Louisiana. So Tristan Bark, we gave him a shout out earlier. He did a story about black rails too. But Eric, where where else could people find more information about or volunteer to help or, you know, more about ESA, those kinds of things? Do y'all have a place y'all can direct them to go to? Um, yeah, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service obviously has a page about the, the listing decision with some very simple, frequently asked questions that they provide answers to. Um, so if you were to just Google, you know, ESA, Black Rail, uh, that would be one of the first pages you would find. Um, but we can also help you find a Black Rail. So, so Justin now has the amazing distinction of having seen more Black Rails in Louisiana than probably everybody else combined. <laughs> So um, when he goes out on Friday and Saturday nights through the winter, um, volunteers can join him and and help you know help join the search for the most elusive bird on the planet. So where can people? I don't pe- disagree with you there, Justin. I think it really is one of the hardest birds to find. <laughs> well, and it just shows. I mean, the fact that you've seen more, captured more than anyone else in Louisiana. I mean, you must be out there working hard. So. Where can people go, Eric, to join you and Justin and Simone in searching for the black rails? Since you don't have to be quiet. And you don't have to be quiet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, If they can, you know, they can find more information on our website, uh, la.audubon.org. They can email me, ejohnson at audubon.org, or they can email Justin, jlayman, at audubon.org. And, and, yeah, that way they can find out more. So other than black rails, do you have anything cool coming up? Anything to um, look forward to? Yeah, Christmas bird count season is coming up. So December 14th through January 5th is the annual Christmas bird count. This is the 119th year of the Christmas bird count. I love um, that. I love yeah, that. Yeah, so it's, it's the longest-running citizen science or community science project in the world, um, and everybody is welcome to participate and help us count birds. Is this like a where will you be for the Christmas bird count? Where will you will you be in like a Grand Isle or Southwest Louisiana, or do you go someplace and vacation and count uh, birds? I, my vacation is counting birds. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be on Grand Isle. I'm going to be in Cameron. I'm going to be in Lafayette. I'm going to be on the North Shore. I'm going all over the state. 
to help with the Christmas bird count. Very cool. Yeah. Did you do that last time? I haven't done I want to try to do it this year. I mean, and it's is it pretty much all ages or, you know, do you encourage as many people as possible to get involved? Jacques just bragging that he's under 40. That's what he's bragging about right now. Yeah, am I old, am I old enough, Eric, to go on the Christmas? Program? I got about like one month to make some under forty list right now. So, you're just the right age for a Christmas bird count, right, Eric? Right, and there's even one in New Orleans. So. There we go. There and go. also, Jack loves trips, though. People can go to la.audubon.org to learn more about the Christmas bird count. Well, Eric and Justin, thank you so much for thanks guys being on the show. Um, and you know, this is super exciting. So we'll be sure to follow this story and, and continue to see what happens. Always love talking about, you know, how our coast and coastal restoration benefit birds and wildlife. I feel like a bird people. convert. I mean, I'm telling you. you. You might as well have the credit and at least a bird 101 class at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Will you sign those We're papers, the only Eric? science class I have credit in. <laughs> well, thank you guys for being on. We'll talk to y'all soon. And coming up next, we want to talk to Arthur Johnson about uh, something exciting that they have going on this weekend. We'll be right back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM. Hello, and we're back. You're listening to Delta Dispatches on WGSO 990 AM, always available online at deltadispatches.org, where we discuss Louisiana's coast, its people, its wildlife, its jobs, and why restoring it matters. I'm Jacques Hebert with Audubon, Louisiana. And I'm Simone Laws with Restore or Retreat. We now have Arthur Johnson on the line, the Chief Executive Officer of the Lower Ninth Ward Center for Sustainable Engagement and Develop, CSED. Welcome back, Arthur. Well, thank you, Simone and Jock. I really appreciate it. We I know were... that's a mouthful in our, <laughs> in our title. Lower nine, CSED. We'll, we'll give it a little shortcut. Arthur, if I do right. I remember that you used to have a radio show or used to do some radio? Uh, some kind of way uh, I remember yeah. that we decided that you could replace Jock if Jock were ever sick or, <laughs> or had laryngitis or something Or was like on a that, field right? trip. Or on a field trip, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, sure, yeah. Well, yeah, I used to do radio... Uh, my background has been in broadcasting communications a long time ago, uh, but I had radio shows in Washington and in Richmond, Virginia. I remembered um, that. And, um, yeah, I'd love to. Uh, you know, I'd sure love to want to be a guest. Jacques uh, likes guest to take host. lots of field trips, Arthur, so it may be more uh, than you bargained for. Simone's trying to replace <laughs> me. We got a little, we got a little uh, Regis and Kelly thing going on here. But, Arthur, it's been I a while see. since we've had you on. Um what has been going on with CSED? He, well, first of all, let me just say he's got a lot going on. I know. I was like looking through the notes. I was like, okay, we have a lot to talk about. So, but you give Tell us, us maybe the cliff notes from your perspective. What What's the latest and greatest? Well, you know, one of the things I guess most recently is uh, we've joined together in a coalition with a couple of other environmental organizations uh, in our area here. And we've um, created this thing called Crush. It's really a real neat uh, type of project, and uh, it's focused on coastal restoration. But it's much bigger than coastal restoration. It's really uh, looking at uh, how we kind of engage as uh, environmental community and work within our urban communities. CRUSH stands for Communities Restoring Urban Swamp Habitat. Mm. That says a lot. Um, and, uh, you know, we kind of started this off, CSED, oh, in the beginning of the year, um, 
got involved in coastal restoration. We're growing oh over a thousand cypress seedling trees that uh, will be planted into our wetlands uh, probably in late winter, early spring of next year. And uh, and so you know we've never done this before, and we we got involved with this and in conjunction with uh, Lake Pontchartrain Basin Foundation for starters. And, um, you know, you, you never know. You know, you go into something and you say, oh, sure, how hard could it be to grow trees? <laughs> well, it can be challenging dealing with the weather, the heat, first of all, and then the, you know, the other elements and heating the water. But they're still alive, which is great. And uh, we really enjoyed it. it we, we learned more about what does that mean when you're, you know, growing these trees and restoration. And then for urban organization that uh, is doing this is, you know, a little bit unique. There are not too many of us uh, community-based organizations truly doing restoration work as it requires. They're actually growing the product that will actually be planted. So we're excited about it. And so CRUSH kind of evolved from this. Uh, with the Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana, we were approached with them about a project that they were starting with, with getting some support from Environmental Protection Agency about growing trees and planting, you know, these cypress and putting them in our urban uh, wetlands. And so we said, ah, great, this sounds fantastic, exactly where we're heading. And we definitely need it as we're based in the Lower Ninth Ward, and there in the Lower Nine, you know, we have the bayous, Bayou Bienvenue. Uh, we have the coastal area of the Mississippi River on one side and Bayou Bienvenue on the other. And um, it became a perfect marriage. And then we tied in Audubon, as we talk about the different habitats that we, we have uh, here in the, in the Lower Ninth Ward. You know, things that say things that fly and things that swim uh, <laughs> right in our own backyard. Nothing so that crawls. This is what, you know, <laughs> And things that crawl. Don't <laughs> leave those out. Uh, so this is what Crush is about. It's really tying in these communities, urban communities, and you know, with this urban swamp habitat. And um, so it, it, you know, it's a, uh, it's fresh, it's new, um, but we're really excited about where this can go and what this will mean in relation of education, advocacy, and getting our. Um, urban communities and communities of color um, realizing that they too uh, are part of this whole restoration exercise. So Arthur, it's such a great program and I know Audubon um, is so excited to be a part of that as well as with other partners. So where can people go to learn more and get involved in the program? Well, they can, um, I guess, one go to our website um, www.sustainthenine.org. Oh, good. It's the short version and of it. Good. It's the short version, <laughs> yes. Uh, or they can go to the Coalition to Restore Coastal Louisiana, their website, CRCL. I'm sure uh, Jacques, they could probably go to Audubon as well and because you're a key partner in, in this uh, to find out more about Crush. Um, but, we're, you know, they can also uh, call me, um, at 504-421-9643. And uh, I will be glad to tell them is everything that we know about Crush and more and how they can get involved. Because when you call, just realize when you call, 
then you're putting yourself in to be a volunteer because that's one of the the outcomes of uh, of our project is to groom volunteers that will be available to work with us and put these trees into the wetlands and that basis. So really looking forward that, uh, you know, this project is, is going to get off, is getting off the ground. And cause we had a, our first workshop in the series. Uh, we had this first workshop yesterday. And you and have so the, fantastic. you have the neighborhood summit coming up too, right? This Saturday um, mm-hmm. in New Orleans. Yeah. Tell us about the That's summit. What's on the agenda. Okay. Tell us more about that. Well, on the Neighborhood Summit, this is the summit that uh, is sponsored by the neighborhood, the mayor's office of neighborhood engagement. And uh, CSED has been working with neighborhood engagement probably ever since they started the summit about six or seven years ago. But in the last three years, we've been playing a, a key role as being the nonprofit sponsor for the Neighborhood Summit. So the Neighborhood Summit is Saturday. November the 10th, uh, it's going to be at UNO, um, UNO campus, uh, in their student center. And, uh, it will begin at, uh, registration begins at eight o'clock. Early, Arthur. That's and a... lunch. Oh, nice. Oh, it's got breakfast. Oh uh, yeah. Breakfast right. Get a couple meals. Out. <laughs> well, it'll be a crisp, it'll be a crisp well, fall day. So you'll want to get up and out, right? It will have little kids. I'll be up anyway. Right. But I'm, so I'm just teasing. Well, that's exactly. So how many times y'all been doing the summit for a while, right? How long? Yeah, we've been, yeah, we've been doing the summit as a, as a, as a nonprofit sponsor. We've been doing this for three years, but we've been involved with the summit, um, probably in the sense it began about six years ago. Very good. And, so, uh, you know, there's some key things. The summit this year's theme, which has kind of been the last couple of years, three years, has been focused around resilience. And so, you know, not only from the environmental perspective, but from the quality of life perspective. So there will be workshops about home housing and, and home equity. Um, there's focused on cleanup NOLA. There's also looking at... Uh, how we transition towards in transit and uh, transit equity and RTA, as well as building resilience through wetlands restoration and on you know, green infrastructure. So there's a little bit, a little bit of something there for everybody uh, in our community, and it really is it shows that this taking a whole perspective on our community, uh, you know, is helping to make a difference. That's and awesome. So we're glad that. That's awesome, Arthur. Well, unfortunately, we're out of time right now, but hey, I think we have to have you back on soon. Definitely. Maybe you can replace me a few episodes. We'll test it out, but <laughs> best of luck. Sustainthenine.org. <laughs> uh, thank you. Well, thank have you. a great uh, weekend, and we'll be seeing you next week. Thanks, Arthur. Bye.